The Gist is brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine, offering luxury wine at affordable prices. To get free shipping and a free sommelier corkscrew on your first order of three or more bottles, go to chwine.com and enter the promo code GIST at checkout. And by 1-800-Flowers.com. For a limited time only, listeners can get 24 beautiful multicolored roses for just $24, the lowest price you'll find on two dozen roses this Mother's Day. Just visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash GIST. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash GIST. It's Wednesday, April 27th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Yes, I am Mike Pesca. I threaten not to be here. But what I did instead was I recognized the thing that Donald Trump recognized as the most important thing going, the most important thing you have, and that's real estate. Well, also your dad to co-sign your loans, but real estate's important. So what I want to do is I want to give over my real estate, the gist, to the best, the best podcast, the greatest podcast, the number one podcast that I listen to these days. So joining me today is chairman of the Slate Group and the Trump cast host. One of those, by the way, confers upon him much, <laughs> much more glory in his circles, Jacob Weisberg. Hello, Jacob. Hey, Mike. Thanks. So I'm really excited to play some highlights from the past month of Trump cast. Tell me a little bit about, or tell the, I've listened to them all. So tell the listeners who might not know, I'm not gonna say what's the inspiration, that'd be Donald Trump, <laughs> but why you decided to do it in podcast form and to come out semi-daily and what are you trying to do? Well, Mike, the idea was that Trump is a kind of national emergency. Mm -hmm. I, I certainly see it that way. I don't think we've ever had anybody this level in politics in my lifetime who's been an open bigot in the way he is. And I don't think we've had anybody even on the far right who challenges some of the premises of democracy the way he does, who expresses open admiration for Vladimir Putin, uh, who's hostile to the free press, yeah. who basically doesn't believe in democracy. And so I thought this you know, creature is sort of taking over our politics. I would like to respond with something very urgent where I am not neutral, but at the same time, I'm not just denouncing him. I want to try to understand why this is happening, who he is. And I think you get to that place faster if you lay your cards on the table about what you think. Yeah, we once interviewed a werewolf hunter. I think it was a <laughs> fictional guy. And he didn't, he didn't, obviously, he's not pro werewolf, but I think he really thinks it's important to understand the werewolf. So I think that's a pretty good analogy. You're like Donald Trump werewolf hunter. And, you know, I'm, I'm very hostile to Donald Trump. I'm not necessarily hostile to Trump supporters. I think there are reasons why this is happening. I think the, a lot of these people have been betrayed by the Republican Party, which hasn't represented their interests. I think there's a real phenomenon here that goes beyond, uh, you know, a celebrity sort of grabbing control of the political process. And I think it's important to understand that and not just say this is idiocy and we can't relate to it. Yes, as George Santa Anna would have said, those, <laughs> those who do not understand Trump are doomed to repeat him, right? Although Trump would say, Santa Anna, what's that, Mexican? Keep him on the other side of the wall. All right, when's the show going to end? When Trump ends? That's the idea. You know, and I was hoping, I was expecting it was going to be the Republican convention, basically because I didn't think the Republican Party would be crazy enough to nominate this guy. I think he's a sure loser in the fall, among other things. Loser! Yes. Loser, uh, but I think now you have to say, you know, the prediction markets, electronic prediction markets have the odds of a Trump nomination well over 75 yeah. percent, certainly more likely than not. I think I'm going to be doing the show until November. I'm not too happy about that. On the other hand, I've been having a good time doing it. It seems like the forces have colluded. Did you hear him the other day, yesterday, I think, talking about collusion? It's, I think, my favorite yeah, words come out of Trump. Where they collude. You know, it's collusion. 
other favorite words are from Trump's own pen or Trump's own iPhone. Could you start or you have at some point in the show these excellent Donald Trump tweets? Yeah, well, you know, this is sort of found art. I mean, if you follow God, Donald exactly. Trump on, on Twitter, the way he's ranting, on tw- you know, with no filter whatsoever. I mean, every other candidate, every, people just assume that somebody t- tweeting in their voice. Trump, it is not a doubt in the world that every tweet he puts out is 100% him from his phone in real time. You know, we have this kind of genius impersonator, this guy, John D. Domenico, who I found because we did a slate video yeah. on how to imitate Donald Trump. And this guy is so good. He's an impersonator. He dresses up as Trump in Las Vegas and performs. But he's been working on this for years. And I just hear him open his mouth and I start laughing. So we just thought, hey, let's just read the tweets every day. All right. Let's hear some of those. David Gregory got thrown off of TV by NBC, fired like a dog. Now he's on at CNN being nasty to me. Not nice. Why is this reporter touching me as I leave a news conference? What is in her hand? I have millions more votes, hundreds more Dells than Cruz Ocasek, and yet I'm not being treated properly by the Republican Party or the RNC. Just released that international gangs are all over our cities. This will end when I'm president. Cameron Hughes wine. The best wine comes from the best vineyards, and they want you to know that the vineyards do, and that's why they put a label on the bottle so you could say that's a great vineyard. But sometimes they don't put a label on the bottle, or the label they put on the bottle isn't from their vineyards. It's when they produce too much wine, or when they're trying to produce wine for a blend, and they have a little extra of a great wine, of a wine that they themselves might market under the name whatever, Cabernet, or they themselves might say in another year, We'd put that out there. It just didn't work in our blend. So a great vineyard has this great wine. They're not just going to pour it down the drain. There was a time they did, and that time was before Cameron Hughes. Cameron Hughes buys wine, and it sells it directly to you so that you can drink the wine that ranges from $25 to $100 per bottle for $80 percent less, up to 80% less of what you'd pay for a regular labeled price. All the Cameron used wines are 40 to 80% less. The average price of a Napa Valley Cabernet over 90 points that scored over 90 in Wine Spectator is $155 a bottle. That Cameron used quality Cabernet that scored over 90 points in Wine Spectator sells for $30 a bottle. It's luxury wine at affordable prices. And have they got a deal for you? Free shipping on an order of three or more bottles, and they'll throw in a free sommelier-grade corkscrew. Your first order with Cameron Hughes, 40 to 80% off. Free shipping is big with wine, because wine is quite heavy. The only way to get free shipping on your first order of three or more bottles, and that free sommelier corkscrew, is to go to chwine.com. That's chwine.com. Shop for your wine, get at least three bottles, and then enter the code GIST at checkout. chwine.com. Promo code GIST for free shipping and a free sommelier corkscrew on your first order. We're back with the Trumpcast version of the GIST. 
Indiana's coming up. I don't know. I've seen this portrayed as any number of the next, you know, make or break states. I think he's made already. I think, I guess if he loses Indiana, it could be bad for him getting the delegates. But A, I think he's going to win Indiana. And B, even if he doesn't, I think he might have a very strong argument to get delegates. He's Trump sort of now in that area in between mathematical certainty and political certainty. Mathematical certainty technically doesn't happen until you have 1,237 delegates and, you know, you have all of those votes in the bank. Political certainty is, is there any realistic way this guy could be stopped? And after the Amtrak primary, I can't bear to call it the Acela primary, but after Tuesday – I, he's, I think he's pretty darn close to political certainty. Yeah. He won every county. He won every county. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's called, you know, doing very well. I like that, though. Somewhere between mathematical certainty and perception is Trump's session. All right. So you talked to one of our favorite guys, Mark Leibovich, who wrote about the idea of the pivot. Look for the Trump pivot. And Leibovich was saying that he smelled that pivot coming. Well, he did. He wrote this piece basically saying, watch out for the Trump pivot, which appeared in the Times magazine in mid-March, which means he wrote it at the beginning of March. So he saw this coming a mile away and good for him. What's funny about Trump is that, you know, he he does it all out loud in public. He yeah. says, you want me to go right? I'll go right. You want me to go left? You go left. I got a pivot. I'm going to do a better pivot than anybody's ever done. I'll pivot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because tr- these are things that are supposed to be unspoken, but of course, Trump speaks them. And it gives lie to the to the artifice of so much politics. I mean, I, I give him credit for that in so many ways when he talks out loud about controlling the camera angle that they shoot him at. Politicians are supposed to be obsessed with that, but not say it. Trump says it. So I think that's a, a reason that the media finds him compelling. Leibovich certainly found him compelling. Let's play an extended, extended uh, excerpt of you talking to Mark about that. He said it was going to happen. He kept saying, oh, I'm just going to pivot to becoming more presidential, and you're going to see this, and you're going to praise it. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I think an odd you know, bit of the Trump genius is that he comes out and names the stupidity that we engage in with this process, you know, quite transparently. And I think we're seeing it now. He, he says a few quasi-gracious things, and everyone in the media remarks upon it and, and praises him and talks about how he's maturing. And, and oh, my goodness, the operation has been professionalized. So uh, this is very, very, very dangerous for Hillary Clinton. I mean, no one else says I'm going to pivot. It's like the doctor saying, I'm about to give you a placebo. You know, I mean, is this his sort of <laughs> exactly what it br- is. brilliance at media manipulation? You know, he knows this is the stage of the campaign where this is what's required of him. And he has no qualms about just saying he's going to do it before he does it. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I mean, there is a, a very, very, very high comedy notion behind this. I mean, I don't think he gets it that way. I mean, I, I think... The the layers of meta have just sort of rolled in on themselves now where Trump believes that the message or he is such a product of the media and such a product of all of the tropes and and, and so forth that he he just sort of recites them as he's doing them. I mean, I remember George Bush 41 got in trouble or was mocked, um, I guess, in maybe 91, 92, around then, when he said, message, I care, which clearly (laughs) was written in a bullet point somewhere. And he was kind of almost, I think, subtly mocking the stupid sort of scriptedness of it. I always had a warm spot for for Bush 41 sort of calling out the artifice of it in a weird way. But I I think he was he was mocked more than 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 praised for that. Yeah. 
When you wrote that piece about a month ago, Mark, which I would point out was called Look Out for the Trump Pivot, um, you also pointed out the a potential pitfall of this coming pivot, which is you wrote that if your campaign's a cult of personality, how can you modulate the personality and still have a cult? So is this the, is this the problem he's going to have now that, now that he's toning it down? I think maybe less so just because at this point, I mean, the cult is in place and it's not like the people who voted for Trump in all these primaries so far are going to sort of see this and say, oh, aha, I'm going to um, vote for Hillary in the general election. I mean, these these people are, are in the camp already. So, look, I mean, I, I think this might have been a bigger deal if, if we were much earlier in the process. But no, I mean, I think that at this point he needs... I mean, he's got a lot of room to grow, and, and the room to grow are in the people who you would like to think are not cultable, if, if that's a word. So you've spent some time with the, covering the man himself. You've been on his 757. And uh, how is covering Trump as a candidate different from covering everybody else, if it is? Well, why is this night different from all other nights? Yes, exactly. A pr- appropriate question for Passover. all other narcissists on this, <laughs> on this religious week for, for the Jews? Um you know, first of all, it's exhausting. It's exhilarating in a way because, I mean, the the fighting for access that, you know, we are always engaged in and the fighting for, you know, to get beyond the stupid talking points and, and again, the stupid tropes, that's not really a factor. He's just, he's right there in front of you. It, it's all, he knows it's a show and he's always putting on the show and, and, you know, he's directing the show to some degree. You know, there is an initial like, wow, this is this is different. I like different and it's not as uh, lobotomizing as as it would be to to be around another candidate. You know, on the other side, it's just it's exhausting in that over time you realize that pretty much everything that comes out of his mouth is either a boast, a lie, or a threat. And um, when you are the target audience for all of that, it it's disconcerting. I mean, I remember I came back after a trip with him and my wife said you know you've been i've seen you come back from a lot of these trips over the years but this is just different you just have a different sort of color in your face and and i think she's right i mean it's not a good thing you just feel like you've been through an experience that is not not human but it's interesting uh laura your wife noticed it affected you i mean how did it affect you being around him were you you were like the the veils had been ripped from your eyes you were shattered what i mean what impact i don't did know it have i mean you? she said it was subtle but she said i talked differently about the trip i mean I, I couldn't believe how shameless he was for one i mean he was so unabashed about just sitting there staring at himself on TV and flipping around the station so that he could see himself instead of someone else on TV. And it was amazing. Just You get used to this humility or this ethic of humility or, frankly, an ethic of false humility among candidates that just does not exist for him. And it's also an ethic of, of shame that, you know, normal, fairly well-adjusted people are capable of internalizing, but he doesn't have either. I mean, he... He does not, you know, subscribe to any of the graceful, dignified, quasi-sheepish behavior that you're used to seeing among politicians. But no, I, I was sort of struck by the fact that she noticed it. Mark, does, having spent time with Trump, does he have an off switch? I mean, does he have a personal side or a place he goes to when he's not performing? I remember actually at one point I asked him, we were in his actual apartment, and I said, so at what part of part, where in this apartment do you like take off all your clothes and like put on boxer shorts and then, you know, go watch TV and eat potato chips or whatever it is you do? And he said, oh, I don't know, maybe upstairs or something. But 
Now, after we were on a long flight to California from Dallas, where he had just done a rally, and he was just on for, for several hours consecutively, first at the rally and then through a bunch of TV interviews and then just you know trying to perform for me. And we got to L.A. really late at night, about maybe 11 o'clock L.A. time, and, and I was on East Coast time, and I assume he was too. And... We got in the car, and I was just—I didn't want to hear him anymore. And I assume, you know, he was just sick of—he just needed to—I needed to be by myself. And we got to the airport, and unfortunately, I couldn't get to where the cabs were. So he had a limousine, and he said, "Here, well, I'm going to Beverly Hills. Why don't you just like come in the limousine, and, and I'll have the driver drop you off at your hotel." So we're sitting there, and he he looks at me and said, "Okay, I'm just—I do not speak. Um, we're, we're I'm done. I need to just sort of." sit here. And I was sort of very relieved that he actually was, you know, he wanted to decompress like a fairly normal person would. And on the entire drive, I mean, me and like the maybe six or seven staff people who were in the van didn't say a word. And he was, you know, looking at his phone the whole time. And I was looking at my phone, but no one was saying anything. And then after I got out of the car, I I went onto my Twitter feed and it was clear that Trump had spent the entire or much of, of much of the the trip uh, tweeting and tweeting you know what happened at the rally and tweeting how he had just arrived in L.A. and so I guess his mode of sort of decompression was to tweet in the dark after a long day. Okay, so actual visual evidence that Trump writes his own tweets. Yeah, I wouldn't think he didn't. And there were a few spelling mistakes, and someone would have been fired. Someone, if someone other than Trump wrote his tweets, that person would be fired. But it also speaks to. I mean, we say this about all politicians, just in general. You got to have something wrong for you with you to run for president. Or we talk about, you know, I sometimes think about the ego involved in that is almost disqualifying as a normal person. But just like. The idea of speaking about pivots out loud or talking about camera angles out loud or making the implicit explicit, you know, talking about what's going on in Trump's mind. It, to me, it seems so clear that he is so needy and so flawed. And you went, these are non-clinical terms, but you went into it. You tried to figure out what's going on inside his head in a more clinical way. Yeah, people always say, oh, so-and-so is crazy. Trump clearly is crazy. It's an interesting argument. Is he a sociopath? Is he a psychopath? But the term that comes up again and again is narcissist. That's a term people just use, obviously, for somebody who's got a big ego, who's into himself, which Trump obviously is. But there's also a psychiatric disorder in the DSM for the manual of psychiatric disorders called narcissistic personality disorder. And, uh, you know, Psychiatrists have a are not supposed to diagnose people who aren't their patients. Right. But one of the things about narcissistic personality disorder is that the people who have it do not seek seek treatment because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. So, you know, I wanted to find a psychiatrist who could talk honestly about it. And Dr. Michaelis, while making very clear that he can't diagnose Trump professionally, can talk about the disorder and what his symptoms are like. All right, here's an extended clip of that conversation. Jacob talking to clinical psychologist, Dr. Ben Michaelis. From a personality disorder uh, standpoint, you know, he really does seem to inhabit all of the characteristics that clinically tend to fall with narcissistic personality disorder, which is sort of a grandiose sense of self, uh, very little in the way of concern for others, others' feelings. The vitriol that he uses, the way he attacks anyone that feels differently than him, uh, that is also part of the sort of same constellation because I think it fundamentally comes from a feeling of being really small and disempowered. It's not, it's not true confidence. 
its arrogance, which is really built on uh, fear as opposed to experience and, and uh, strength. So have you, I know you haven't diagnosed Donald Trump in person, but have you diagnosed patients with narcissistic personality disorder or seen patients who suffer from it? Oh, absolutely. What can be done for them? Can it be treated? <laughs> How much time do you have? Um, so, you know, for many, many years, my field actually tried to avoid working with people with narcissistic personality disorder. It was sort of known that very little could be done because you're really, you're challenged because you're working with someone with, with very little empathy. And empathy is actually critical for the psychotherapeutic endeavor to sort of have some sort of bond with your patient. And people with narcissistic personality disorder aren't really able to form those kind of interpersonal bonds. Uh, they're so sort of deeply wrapped up in themselves that they really can't identify with anyone. The, the only thing that they are generally capable of is having people around them that are kind of sycophantic, you know, and that's one of the traits is requiring excessive admiration from people around you. And so there's not a lot of history of success of pe with uh, pe people with narcissistic personality disorder uh, in my field, to be perfectly honest with you. So I associate narcissism with, among other things, having a demeaning attitude toward women. Is that a thing? And can women be narcissists? The stats indicate that the majority of people with narcissistic personality disorder actually are male, but women can definitely have a narcissistic personality disorder as well. It tends to go along with certain traits that are at least in our society, more common with men and tend to be linked to testosterone. But women can definitely be narcissists as well. And for men, is mistreating women one of the traits? It's sort of belittling anyone that is not directly related to increasing your power. And because of the fact that women are still marginalized in many ways in our society, it would sort of come often naturally as part of narcissistic personality disorder in men. Do narcissists lie more readily or more often than other people? Probably yes. You know, the most effective form of lying is lying to oneself. So they may not be aware of their own lies, of course, but it is a part of this sort of cluster of personality traits, including antisocial personality disorder. So there's a similarity, at least clinically, between um, narcissism and antisocial personality disorder, which certainly does involve lying. So the answer is probably yes. It's not one of the sort of necessarily diagnostic conditions, but ex being exploitive certainly is, and lying often comes with exploitation. Hmm. So let me ask you, Dr. Michaelis, if, if he is a victim of mental illness, shouldn't we be sympathetic to him in some way? We wouldn't make fun of someone who suffered from depression or bipolar disorder. I'm not making fun of him. Well, I, don't think that, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that we should. I think that we should take him very seriously. Again, without diagnosing him, I do think that there, there is serious personality disorder there. And we should be looking at him as that kind of individual as opposed to something to be laughed at. So what, well, you said narcissistic personality disorder is especially hard to treat. But uh, I don't know, imagine Donald Trump came to you and said, I suffer from this and I know it. How would you treat someone like that? I, uh, I would try to figure out if there was any way to build empathy between him and me and him and other people. 
because that's the way change happens is through some sort of interpersonal connection. And that's what's so challenging about working with people with this personality disorder. I guess the question is, if you are a narcissist, but you get the majority of one of the two political parties to back you, are you still a narcissist? I mean, I guess at some point it comes true and you really are that beautiful flower who deserves to be looked at all the time. Well, winning fuels your narcissism, right? But you can't – part of what narcissism is as a disorder is you have to always win. You can't accept losing. And it's a little bit why I think Trump now has been on this dual track where he's saying on the one hand – I'm winning. I've won. Nobody can stop me. I'm the biggest winner ever. But on the other hand, they're trying to cheat me out of it. Because if he loses, it can't be that he's lost because he's a narcissist. It has to be that he was robbed. See, I like to think of him, if he was uh, another uh, candidate saying those, putting forth those arguments in another country, the media might call him uh, democracy activist Donald Trump. (laughs) He really is just trying to make sure we're all enfranchised. Of course, Trump's supporters don't brand themselves as the enablers of narcissists. They say, hey, we're for him because he speaks up for us or says the things we're saying. But the question is, you know, who are the Trump supporters? You found one. <laughs> Tell me how you found one. Well, we found a couple, but we had, this one was interesting. We had a couple, and that was part of one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the show is we want to hear from Trump supporters, and we want to hear from the most interesting and articulate ones we can get. We found a college student in California who supported uh, Mr. Trump, as he, Mr. as he Trump, respectfully yes. called him. But that was the clue that he's actually working for Mr. Trump. He was working for the Trump campaign. And so he seemed like a nice kid, but he also sounded a lot like the Trump talking points. That wasn't quite what I wanted. I wanted someone who was authentically for Trump and not being paid or hoping in the future to be paid by Trump. The person I found, of course, starting close to home in the office, was Hannah Rosen, longtime Slate writer, contributor to Double X, podcaster on Invisibilia, a great journalist, had two parents who are pro-Trump. Hannah grew up in Queens. Her parents are Israeli immigrants. Her father was a cab driver. And... I just gave her the show, a little bit the way you're giving me the show today, Mike, and said, why don't you try to have a conversation with your mother where she tries to explain this to you? This is so weird. I'm ready for your questions. (laughs) <laughs> you ready for my questions? <laughs> did you prepare? Did you prepare for this? I know what to say. I mean, prepare. What I'm supposed to prepare. I, you know, I know what nothing. I feel about him. That's all. Nothing, nothing, nothing. This is just a chance. I know it's really weird, but it's just, I know you're voting for Trump, so this is just why. This is just me asking you why. Why? Do you do you always vote for Republicans now? Like, who did you vote for no, in the past? No, 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 no. No, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was registered Democrat, and uh, the last few years, truthfully, I just think that I don't see I don't see a Republican or Democrat or liberal. I don't think that I just just feel that you have to vote for the person, not mm-hmm. for not for, uh, you know, a party. It's 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 wrong. So you definitely supporting Donald Trump, right? Yes, I do. Like, why? What do you like about him? Um, the only thing that you know, I feel like now is that the country really need a chance. Because when you look at the debate, when you just watch debate from both sides, they're both saying the same thing. It's like become boring. They promise and promise and promise them. He speaks up his thing. He has a track record. Uh, he's fresh. He's using his own money. And the, the most important thing about Trump, which I feel uh, people are voting for him and he's causing all this, you know, uh, 
a devotion that people want actually for him to, that he just wants to bring the glory. And I think they, they believe it because Trump Wait, like, is, wait, 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 slow down. So what do you mean fresh? Like, what is fresh about him? Do you mean like the way he talks, his hair, or like what? First of all, he's not, he's not a regular politician. He's not the type. I mean, what we see here throughout the years is people are standing up on the podium and telling you about all these things from both sides. Uh, we are going to reduce taxes. We are going to bring the troops out. There is not going to be any war. We are going to help the middle class. We are going to fight Wall Street and all that. And once they get into the office, none of those has happened, either by the fact that they forget or they just cannot fight the House and the Senate. So they are unable to, you know, to, to, to keep all the promises. Here come a guy that is not a politician. He's a self-made man that made all his money. He's using his money to run, and he accomplished things. And people all of a sudden see it as a hope as a hope, this is a guy that maybe saved the day. He's really an American. He cares about America, and he wants to do things. So we want to give him a chance. So I, I feel that I want to give him a chance. How do you feel about the way he talks? It's like he's performing. It's like a performance. Do you understand? The yeah. way he does, he likes to talk, and he sometimes come, come across like, uh, I would say, even foolish, you know, the way he talks. I, uh, I understand all that. I understand completely. But he brags a lot. But when you take all these things and you start weighing the good against the bad, and the fact is that we are in a situation that none of those candidates from both sides is really acceptable. What about the stuff he said about Rosie O'Donnell? Like he called her a fat ass and a slob. Probably I'll sue her because it would be fun. I'd like to take some money out of her fat ass pockets. And then he said all that stuff about Megyn Kelly and her period and, you know, and women being, you know, Carly Fiorina having an ugly face. Like, when you hear him say stuff like that. (laughs) Actually, that was very surprising because he has, obviously, has a lot of people around him that direct him what to do. And I think he's trying to tone it down because he he feels that it's really stupid and foolish. But at the same time, I have to weigh one against the other. And for me, you take the scale and you, 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 figure, you figure, okay, he's not talking, and I'm sure that will be toned down, down the road. You know, he mm-hmm. understands that. He watched himself sometime after the debate. I'm sure he does. And he look, probably he sees and he said, well, that's foolish what I'm saying. You know, it doesn't so- look good. But what the language stuff brings up is not, you know, what he it's partly what he actually thinks about women, but it's also partly the worry is the kind of temperament he has. Like, is he a person who loses his temper very quickly or who is capable of saying nasty stuff? Do you think about that? Does that worry you? It does. A hundred percent. You know, he's not a hundred percent a person that I would say, okay, he's perfectly a hundred percent fit to be president. But at the same time, you know, I'm looking at the other candidate and for, for me, he's better than them. I just, I just feel that he is going to bring the respect because he speaks up exactly what people think. So I don't think that in real life he really, he really, he's like that. I just don't believe it. There's still time before Mother's Day. We love our mothers. We give them a day. 
the way we interact with the day is on the day. There might be a brunch. But before that day is the question, when is Mother's Day? Mother's Day should be one of those dates like Christmas, always the same day. But no, it's a floating Sunday-esque holiday. And most people who have mothers, they're not very good with figuring out what day is Mother's Day. So I'm going to do two things for you right now. The first thing is I'm going to tell you when Mother's Day is. Wait, that'll I'll tease that. I'll leave that to the end. First, I want to tell you about 1-800-Flowers, the official florist of Mother's Day. I didn't know that contract was up for bid, but apparently 1-800-Flowers.com became the official florist for Mother's Day. How does this help you? Well, they've got a great offer for the listeners, available for a limited time, like you got to get on it quick before Mother's Day, 24 beautiful multicolored roses, multicolored, for $24. Let's say she likes white, there'll be some white. Let's say she likes pink, some pink's in there. Two dozen multicolored roses while supplies last. So lock in the deal now. $24 is 50% off the regular price. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash gist from your desktop, from your mobile device to get this offer. 1-800-Flowers.com slash gist for Mother's Day, which is May 8th. I thought our mother made about the best case you can make for Trump, which is he doesn't mean all those terrible yeah. things he says. Did well, that's you, the did, cognitive <laughs> dissonance that you have to employ. Like, just dismiss all the bad things, unless the ones you agree with, then he's brave enough to say them, and he's not. Like, in some instances, oh, that's him not being politically uh, correct. Well, what about where you, as a Trump supporter, don't think he's being politically incorrect? You just think he's incorrect? Oh, he's just saying that for a fact. It works really well. There's, yeah. a, there's like a grab bag of excuses that you could apply to Trump. Well, you know, he hired this old political hack, Paul Manafort, to run his convention delegate. Hey, if you were a foreign dictator, you would not think that guy was a hack. Yeah, he's way worse than that, right? He's represented all these foreign – he was the leader of what was called the torturer's lobby in Washington. But never mind that. He's, he's, a, he's a slick old political hand. And it basically, back to the Trump pivot, he said, you know, Trump is going to be much more grown up and responsible now. And you're not going to hear – all that stuff from him anymore, unless you happen to agree with it. In that yes. case, we're still doing that. Day after he said that, Trump uh, said if Hillary Clinton were a uh, man, she wouldn't be getting more than 5% of the vote, which just tells me <laughs> he does not want any woman besides Hannah's mom to vote for him. He is just <laughs> going hard against having any woman believe in that. Well, I guess Hannah's mom would say, yeah, he's just saying that for a fact. Who knows? We should check in with her and see if he's still got her. Yeah. Thank you, Jacob. That was it for today's edition of the Trumpcast slash The Gist. You can follow Jacob on Twitter at Jacob W.E. Hey, my Twitter's handle is very similar, Pesca M.I. Did you get your Twitter handle before you knew how Twitter handles would work? Yes. Yes, it's exactly <laughs> what happened. That's not how you're supposed to do it. Today's show was produced by Andrea Salenzi, Henry Malofsky, and Jason DeLeon. John DiDomenico read the tweets that you heard. You could find him at johnnyd.net. I'm Jacob Weisberg. I hope you'll join me on Trumpcast very soon. And hey, please subscribe. You can go to the iTunes store and sign up. And I, I couldn't make Jacob say it, but um peru de peru do peru. And thanks for listening. It's a, it's a Peruvian turkey penis. It's Peruvian what? <laughs> <laughs>